Hello and welcome to the iGen UK podcast. Uh, we're not going to be talking about Cyberpunk or the Game Awards this week because we're mavericks. Um, and mainly because we're recording this on Thursday, the Game Awards haven't happened and we have hardly played Cyberpunk, so there's also some good reasons. Next week, though, on Tuesday or Wednesday, we're going to add a little special episode into the mix because, you know, it's Christmas, a little present for everyone. So we'll have a little Cyberpunk special and maybe we'll talk about the Game Awards next week on Tuesday or Wednesday, I think. So look forward to that. But now it is the time of year where we do our alternative game, film, TV awards because, yet again, we are mavericks. Um, joining me for the film and TV special this week... Matthew Persler. Hello. Dale Driver. Hello. It's been a weird year for film and TV, mainly because cinemas have been closed. <laughs> yeah, not, not really uh, been much in been, the way of films, to be no. honest. There's been some good TV, but like, not like I was expecting a new series of Succession and things like that. They just haven't been able to be filmed, yep. so that's <laughs> not good. Uh, but there's still some good stuff out there. I mean, a lot of what we'll talk about will be streaming stuff, I imagine, apart from one or two things. Mm. Uh because there was about two months this year when things were happening. I mean, so. cinemas have actually been open quite a bit this year. It's just that, unfortunately, mm-hmm. because America is largely in much more of a state of shutdown than we are, it's been difficult yeah. to get things into cinemas when you really want it in all territories, not just yeah. the UK. Um, we, um, I think I've been, I've been to cinema. I saw Tenet at the cinema. I don't know if I've been... That might have been the only time I've been yeah. to the cinema this year. That and St. Maud, I think, were the only two films I actually saw at the cinema this year. Oh, um, Birds of Prey, but that was for work at the start of the year. Oh, I still haven't seen Birds of Prey. Either. Sonic, was that this year? Yeah, yeah, that was yeah I saw that. Well, I saw that at a screening room rather than at a cinema, but yeah. Remember when we were um, like a gnat's whisker away from seeing A Quiet Place Part 2? Yeah. <laughs> and now, now yeah. it's just taken I away remember, from us. Yeah, we had all like the junkest stuff arranged for that for like in a day's time and they was like yeah none of this is happening anymore so see you next year um <laughs> see what happens about that but anyway without further ado we've got three tv and or film and tv or film uh products here to talk about each and of course we've given them silly award names because what we like what we like guys oh mad Maverick, absolutely mad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. mad um <laughs> They're not necessarily, we always have to pre, uh, preface this, they're not necessarily our favourite things of the year. Some of them are. Some of them are just, you know, things we may not have talked about a lot that we want to revisit. So, mm. without further ado, Dale Driver, what's your first one? Hello. My first award is Film That Sent Me Down a Deep Wikipedia Hole. And I have a few <laughs> nominations for this, and the two other nominations did not come out this year. <laughs> because <laughs> I've, I've, I've Do you know do- what's going on here? <laughs> The point is, I've been doing some catching up, like, with lockdown. I feel like there was a few, like, key, like, you know, credible films that came out in the last few years that I missed. Mm. So, uh, Richard Jewell is a good example, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. I can't believe I didn't watch it sooner. I heard mixed things about it. It's a Clint Eastwood film, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I guess with these sort of films, obviously, I'm drawn to things that, you know, are based on real events. And Mm -hmm. um, that's, like, that's my problem with... Queen's Gambit right now just to randomly go on a tangent I've only watched one episode but the fact that I know it's not based on real events kind of turns me off a little bit I will say I've uh, Queen's Gambit is not going to turn up in these awards but I do want to mention it because I watched it all I thought it was absolutely brilliant I will say though episode one I didn't really like mm. the other six when actually Anya Taylor-Joy is in it it's yeah. fantastic I didn't oh, is I she didn't. not in the first episode she's a child in the right first okay because so this is my like this will be my Christmas prologue. watch but yeah, I, I didn't dislike it by the way. <laughs> I found it. I found it interesting. I just, 
Mm. Um, I think when it's sports driven or, you know, like great accomplishments driven, when it's a yeah. real story, it just makes it a lot more satisfying. I get that a lot. Do you yeah. know um, the Netflix version of Richard Jewell is out this week, I think? Is it? They've, they've done a TV series version. It's um, the guy who played uh, Ed Kemper from Mindhunter is playing Richard Jewell. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, well, he looks a bit like him. But anyway, Richard Jewell sent me on, yeah. a, on a Wikipedia hole. Like, I just, like, things that I didn't know anything about, and now I'm reading mm-hmm. all this history about it. And See, always that's that, my oh, problem. I've never seen it but I know the story, so I don't know if I'll find it as Maybe. interesting. They do do, obviously they take creative license, and I was like reading about those elements as well. Another example of that is Black Klansman, which I've only just watched for the first time the other week. So good. Uh, and, but it's... that was like fascinating reading about the differences between reality and also how mm-hmm. much of it was actually real as well, which is shocking. Like, some elements I was yeah. just automatically assumed would be fiction, and they weren't. Yeah, and it was it's crazy. unbelievable in so many ways, isn't it? I, I think that's like an absolutely incredible film yeah. I only watched it for the first time a few months as well mm. uh, a few months ago as well and I kind of want to watch I it saw, again John David Washington yeah. and Adam Driver in that yeah so good I saw that at the cinema and you know how it concludes with footage from yeah. not mm. not like the time period it was set in but it's like yeah. all of this shit now. is still going on and me and my friend who went to see it just like sat like basically stunned because it mm-hmm. brings you because Black Clansman's quite a funny film despite the fact that it's dealing with this horrendous topic and then it's like you basically get shot with the fact gun at the end yeah. and it's like don't forget that this shit is real dangerous well, it's mad because i was watching it with my wife and um about halfway through i said i don't want to spoil that ending stuff because it's you know it's quite impactful mm-hmm. but when i something that happened midway through film and it's like oh this just reminds me exactly of that can you believe this this shit still goes on and then yeah. that kicked in at the end i was like bloody hell yeah, yeah. They, they knew what so- they were doing it's so good. it reminds me I haven't watched uh, The Five Bloods yet which is Spike Lee's film from this year oh, so that would have been more appropriate for this awards <laughs> anyway but uh, I'll watch that the film that I think what's actually going to win yeah the film that actually wins it came out this year and it was The Trial of the Chicago 7 the uh, Netflix Ooh, that well, is um, a good film fantastic piece of work I think it's the best film I've seen this year obviously there's not been much to choose from no. this year <laughs> but I think it, I would it, agree though it's something that that tops the list for me it stands out especially again because it's something that I knew little to nothing about going into this mm-hmm. film. The only reason I watched it, to be honest, is because I saw the iGen review of it was really glowing. And I thought, oh, okay, yeah. it's on Netflix, easy to watch, I might as well check this out. And that sent me on a whole evening afterwards of, of Wikipedia reading, like going through each pages of all the individual people and just finding out every bit of information I could about this. But that's another great film like Black Klansman, which, you know, is dealing with this you know serious subject matter. And it's essentially a courtroom drama, but it also has so much like, life to it there's a there's a lot of comedy in there as well a lot so of... it's typical sorkin isn't it like taking mm. something that could fundamentally be quite not dull but you know wordy and yeah out and just make it like 100 miles an hour and quite fun at times yeah it's def- definitely. he also does the sorkin thing of taking that real life event like he does with the social network and then kind of changing the ending completely <laughs> <laughs> well you know but <laughs> but that was more it does, symbolism the end of that it? film yeah. is very yeah it's a very good ending to a film like it's a strong like very sorkin end to a film yeah. not that it actually happened I'm a, i would say life good. never like like wraps a neat little bow on the end of something like exactly. a movie can do. So, you know, you kind of have to add an ending like that. But it was, you know, more metaphorical for what they stood for, yeah. I guess. The cast is so good as well. Like, it's you've an got, incredible cast. Like, I can't even name them all. There's too many people. But the one I want to highlight is actually Eddie Redmayne because never in a film before have I really thought... I've never quite got the buzz about Eddie Redmayne. Right. I think he's fine. But in this film, I thought he was really good. Like, because he wasn't doing his typical... 
I think it's because he had an American accent. He wasn't doing this typical like jittery like yeah, British guy, yeah. English like oh I'm a I'm a like yeah I'm a public schoolboy sort of did thing that he think, does all the time. Did you not think much of him in the Theory of Everything? I haven't watched it. That's a really good film. You should watch it. Yeah. <laughs> I I really don't like the Theory of Everything. Oh, I, so I think it's got the classic biopic issue where it kind of like you know when you watch the trailer it's just got they they try to put everything that's going to happen into a into a trailer just to give you the idea of where it's going and people just say shit that they don't say in real life <laughs> like there's a bit in the fear of everything where a a professor like stands up at the back of the class and's like by jove he's got it like no one yeah. says that oh <laughs> entertainment i'm going to deliberately say it in tomorrow's morning meeting now just to prove you wrong go, by oh, jove i always <laughs> felt like me and you Matt, were on the on the same sort of wavelength but with this week with uh, assassin's creed's ending and now this, it feels like we're on different yeah, ends of the Yeah, all right, Assassin's mode. Creed is a very divergent topic. Like, I just <laughs> like some nonsense. We are not talking about games. Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry, times. sorry. Anything more you want to say about the trial uh, of the Chicago 7? I would say to anybody, it looks like an extremely, like you said, dry subject matter that could potentially mm-hmm. be boring on paper. But please, it's on Netflix. It's easy to watch. Give it a shot yep. because you won't be disappointed. And it came out the same week as Borat, I think, and mm. it's... 10 times the Sasha Baron Cohen <laughs> performance that Borat is. So I would watch that. I would also highly recommend it. I'm going to do one of mine. It's like Christmas, like dishing out the presents. Like, who's going to do one next? Why don't you put yourself second? Uh, yeah, why not? Yeah, in the middle. I'm a lovely bit of meat in the sandwich, me. Oh. What? Stop. <laughs> Please stop. Yeah. Eat it. Right. Anyway, <laughs> uh, my award here is the series that gave me sport when none was happening mm. um i do also actually have a runner-up for this which is the amazon prime spurs documentary oh, yeah. which and was you know and Sutherland till i die as well came out in april didn't it did it season it's two like the second series yeah, yeah. yeah that's also a fantastic series a lot of good sport mm. if you're not if there's actually no sport to watch but yeah obviously i like the spurs documentary because i'm a spurs fan mm. and you know it was obviously you know not actually how a football club is run you know mm. everyone's a bit too smiley but I enjoyed there was, it. There were some good uh, scenes, like the, the Jose exactly. and uh, Danny Rose seems particularly good. Yeah, there's some, there was some honest stuff in there, yeah, but you know, I just anything Spurs, I'm going to watch, aren't I? Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, my actual winner is The Last Dance, which is probably also just the best thing I've watched this year, like TV, film, mm-hmm. or anything. If you don't know what The Last Dance was, it is a ten-part chronicling of the Chicago Bulls and in particular Michael Jordan's time at the Chicago Bulls in the early to mid 90s uh, and it is an incredible documentary again they might play fast and loose with some of the facts <laughs> I don't know I wasn't there funnily enough I was not a member of the Chicago Bulls 1992 what? squad <laughs> I mean, the complication um, with this one is that Michael Jordan was specifically like a producer, right? He was involved with the production yeah. of it. So, like, there's a bit like they—they're not totally glowing about him. There's times like where he—they say he was difficult, but then some people have said, "Yeah, he was a bit more of a dick than <laughs> than." Uh, but at the same time, I thought it was just like the structure of it, the way they were cutting between like his last season and his career back and forth. It was just, and I don't think you have to be into basketball or particularly even into sport to enjoy that it's just captivating and i loved it yeah i thought that's also on netflix i thought the um the first half especially when it was almost theming each episode around a different player in the team as well yeah. obviously 
it had the three main ones to focus on, but then it was like, you know, dipping into other players as well who had a lower mm-hmm. profile. And then it kind of pulls it back around to do really deep dive on Michael Jordan towards the end of it as well. And then or the conclusion of that, that famous season as well. It's so good. Like, and it's the, it's what we were saying before. Like, I think true stories are always going to be more impactful than made up ones. Mm. For me, they are anyway. And yeah, no sort of sports dramatizations getting close to that. No. I'm guessing you didn't watch that one, Matt. Uh, no. How did you guess? Because <laughs> you haven't said all that. I would, you know what, I, I would be interested in you just checking out maybe the first episode and seeing what you think. Because I honestly believe like you don't have to be into basketball to be into that. Because I'm not particularly into basketball. Yeah, because but... it's more about like you know media personalities and uh, like yeah, yeah. people driven by their career and like how determined they are to I mean, win. I've not things. I've not stayed away from sport like my entire life. <laughs> like so, for example, I really like the Damned United as a movie. Oh, which obviously I have absolutely no interest in football but that story <laughs> is genuinely and and the performances mm-hmm. in that film are very good and then when yeah. I um I've actually now forgotten where where's Clough from uh he well he where's his was statue? Nottingham Forest. is it in Nottingham uh, be, be, yeah, yeah, yeah I can remember going through Nottingham then and seeing the statue and then like immediately knowing what that was and what that meant nice. to the the place which I mm-hmm. would never have known through knowledge of football, but because I watched mm. a film that I enjoyed. Yeah. What about Moneyball? Have you seen Moneyball? Yeah, I've seen Moneyball. Ah, oh, there we go. Yeah. Would... Oh. For me, that would be our new <laughs> prestige film. It's the one. Oh, that... it's got to be up. Like, yeah. I, I just I, put I, it on all the time. I know that so Joe much. would definitely back that up as well yeah. as a choice. Uh, yeah, Moneyball is fantastic. Anyway, The Last <laughs> Dance. Uh, yeah, pretty much. If, if you've watched it, you know it's one of those. Mm. Um, but yeah, also brilliant bit of Pearl Jam at the end. Pearl Jam's been a bit of a theme for me this year with Last of Us and The Last Dance. The uh, Last Dance, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I've listened to like 10 about 100 times this week. So Bloody there you hell. go. <laughs> I've been in a big Pearl Jam and Nirvana mood. I've been transporting myself back to happier days when I was one year old. Um, anyway, Matt, what's your first award? Yeah, mine's the, the show that finally got weird. Which, admittedly, it's only on its second season, but Umbrella <laughs> Academy season two, which was earlier I didn't this know year. you had watched this. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Um, so I quite liked the first series, but I was mildly disappointed that it's not as strange as the comic is. Comic is mm-hmm. very weird and has a very like distinct sort of almost retro-futurist style. It's written by um, Gerard Ray from it is. My Chemical Romance, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Which I always found bizarre. But yeah, and um, his, I didn't read it for a very long time. I can remember it coming out when I was at uni and I was friends with quite a lot of people that were very emo at uni and they were obviously head over heels about the fact that he'd written this comic. I was just like, <laughs> I'm not reading this emo trash. Um, <laughs> and so I didn't read it for years. And then when I eventually got around to it um, and realised that it's actually kind of like this weird sort of love letter to the 1950s, it's got this, like, all of its characters are very classic like comic book and the mm. designs mm. of them are all kind of this very strange element and then the tv series obviously is is updated in the same way that marvel massively update all of their stuff uh, and you know kind of ground it in a bit more of a reality which i understand why because when they're not grounded it probably looks very weird on tv but yeah. sort of like luther in in that show in the in the tv in the comic sorry he is literally like his head gets cut off and they put it on an ape whereas in the tv show like he's just got an ape-like body because is that of the, the serum. guy dick ontale guy yeah, yeah yeah it's oh what's he called um dick ontale uh, well yeah dick <laughs> or uh, tom hopper 
That's there the guy. Yeah, so sort of like it's just weirder in the comics, but I think now it like in series one because that did so well and it's anchored itself for a fan base, it felt like they could go a bit more all out for for season two, and so they bought in a character that I never thought they would have done, partially because I don't like I still think that TV has a bad effects budget, even though it quite clearly doesn't anymore. Mm. And so there's a character later on in the comics called uh, uh, Carmichael who is literally a fish in a bowl mounted on top of like a walking diver suit oh my god and so i just assumed that they'd never do that and like within an episode of season two you've got this talking fish in a bowl mounted on top of a diver suit that's running kind of like a uh, like a, a time travel like hitman agency they, they proved you wrong like i've never actually read it or watched it i've kind of seen trailers and i've always thought eh, but you're, you're saying it's quite good for me it's always looked like sort of like x-men sort of a crossed with the adams family is it is that correct like i wouldn't say that's massively far off i mean the basic premise is is that you've got there were a bunch of children born at exactly the same time in kind of like well it's 1988 i think because they're all the same age as me um and they were all they all have special powers basically and they were all bought in by this absolutely mad old man and decided to train them up as his own superhero team Mm. um so that's kind of where the i guess the x-men sort of side comes to it and like you say i guess a little bit adam's family in that they're all living together in the same big mansion but this one throws it back to the 1960s they all get stuck in time which opens up kind of the storytelling elements where there's been two shows that i think have been really really good this year at exploring like contemporary issues through a lens of um, other stuff, and I know that Dale will be talking about the other one later on. Um, I'll but this. yeah, um, but the the Umbrella Chronicles has got a lot this year with kind of like sixties uh, black oppression, which obviously probably when it was being made, they didn't realise that Black Lives Matter was going to be a huge deal mm-hmm. this year, and obviously it should be a huge deal all the time. But it, it fell quite neatly in that like characters that. That you know that you were caring for on screen were reflective of a, a massive problem that we were having at the time, and that that's done very very well alongside the fact that it's this weird time travel issue, and then on the other side there was uh, was stuff with Vanya's character about kind of like she she's queer and you get all that side of stuff. So you've got I think good superhero stuff always has that underlying Definitely. sort of message. Mm-hmm. Obviously since X Men because that was about the civil rights movements originally. And so they are all kind of cautionary tales in their way. But the way that this balances that with being with having really, really odd kind of almost jump the shark moments, but knowingly so, I think mm-hmm. it, it, it does it all really quite well. And I so see. I think it's finally found its footing now. Um, that sounds more interesting to me. Yeah, I wasn't, I might, I might have to get through season one. I don't know if get through is the right word, so mm. I'm sure it's not bad, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested, Matt. Yeah, I mean, so like when I say it goes to the sixes, it's it's like it all builds up to. So the second volume of the uh, of the comic is called Dallas and features a front cover with a small boy holding a rifle on it. So I'm sure you can probably guess from there, <laughs> kind of the the push of where that like the historical time point that it's pushing to. So I think that would probably get you interested, Cardi. That like you like a bit of alt history as well. Mm, what are you trying to say about me? Alt history nerd. <laughs> history, history nerd. I like true facts. Uh, Dale, you said you've got something that leads nicely on. Yeah. So my, well, my award is best Marvel film replacement because as you know, as this year we've been we've taken have had Marvel taken away from us, and 
although a lot of people might perceive that to be a bad thing, I think maybe it's a good thing for me because I was a bit burnt out on it all anyway. I was looking forward to Black Widow though. I don't it's still it's Widow. still coming. It's still coming, mate. You just had a bit <laughs> of time in between. What if it never comes? <laughs> <up>? <laughs> uh, but for me, it was uh, the boys, specifically season two. Like I watched both seasons for the first time this year as well, and. It's something kind of like Umbrella Academy that's passed me by a little bit when I would see the marketing material for it. I just assumed mm-hmm. I wouldn't be interested in it. And the only reason I watched The Boys Season 1 was for a video for work. We were making a video with Homelander. Mm-hmm. And um, that show is like fantastic. And I think I said it to Terry on our I was like, why did nobody tell me how good this was? And she said, I think we were. And I was I like, think yeah. everyone, yeah, everyone was saying it. I think maybe I was influencing you because... I thought season I was lukewarm in season one. I thought season one was okay. I thought they were doing, and maybe I was coloured by the fact that I'd already read like the first couple of volumes okay. of the boys years ago. So I kind of knew what was going to happen. And I was like, I get it. You're being edgy. He says swear words a lot. There's a lot mm. of like, I get it. Whereas season two, I did really like. I thought they did more with it, and they actually yeah. had something to say. It was more interesting character development. I would say in terms of the edginess, like I didn't know anything about the graphic novels or comics beforehand. But I've mm-hmm. since like re- read up on them, and I think the show sort of manages that line so much better at being like at shock value. Oh, and, definitely, yeah. Yeah, like gross moments, but also like you know within reason, like not just for the sake of it. And I think like some they swap some elements around with characters that I think makes so much more sense. Yeah. But this like, season specifically, I thought was a fantastic. Like for the what you were saying about the Umbrella Academy matter, this idea of sort of towing the line with things that are going on in the world today but also you know attaching its own version of it like it was very much well I don't want to get onto one side of things but the the influencer side of thing is was was like a big thing that they were dealing with all season like how to deal with your fans and influencers yeah. and how and how they operate and I just thought it was a fascinating lens on all of those sort of issues it deals with issues that just don't get spoken like the whole stuff about you know I won't go fully into the yeah. topics for anybody that hasn't seen it but there's a character in it that that kind of is bisexual and there's a whole kind of argument out there about the fact that the media just pretends that bisexual people don't exist you're either gay or you're straight and the way it deals with like her erasure and the fact that she's working for a movie company that just oh you're a lesbian that's super sexy like Mm. be lesbian for us and like that's just something that you don't see explored but to see explored in a film that is just sorry in a tv show that is also just really good at being a great entertaining crashy bashy yeah. we're going to mm-hmm. shoot some people with lasers like the fact that that balance exists so kind of perfectly judged yeah. is a pretty incredible like I mean, success for that company a core amount of the content is about the griminess of marketing teams yeah and when you put that on paper it sounds really boring but then you've got this like you said like wham bam sort of superhero stuff going on at the same time and also i think this season like, obviously, we all know Homelander was a bit of a shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this season, they took it to the next level and just like... But it it constantly felt like, okay, how are our heroes like going to get out of this situation because, you know, he is on paper mm-hmm. unbeatable. And they always find yeah. a clever way of writing around that and always like found it super engaging. I find I find some things more interesting. Like, I actually find the core stuff with, um, like, Butcher quite dull, right. I think. That's not a good character. And like his storyline, like I really don't care about your kid and your wife. Like <laughs> honestly, I'm not into that stuff. Like all the other characters have much more interesting stories, I think, to tell. Yeah. Whereas his is just a bit like, I don't know. He's just just an angry man. I do he? find I, <laughs> I do find the Starlight and Homelander dynamic like one of my favorite aspects of the mm-hmm. show. Like the sort of battle between them, especially the fact that 
I don't think it's spoiler to say at the start of the season, she's like kind of working as a, you know, a secret agent, so to speak, for the boys, you know, within mm. the seven. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Very good. I like it. I like all the um all the stuff with the deep mm. this season was good. Yes, it's all that just was a bit odd. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I like where that's going. Mm. But yeah, I'm actually looking forward to season three and I was not looking forward to season two. So it must have done something there right. There we go. There we go. Uh, my second choice is, it's actually a new one we haven't spoken about. It is the film that wasn't the masterpiece I wanted or hoped it to be, but still is a David Fincher film, so better than most films. I like that. Like mouthful, Carty. <laughs> On the running order, you even added Thank in an wrong. extra word, like there wasn't enough words there already. Yeah, no, I just added more. Why not? <laughs> um, David Fincher's new film, Mank, released on Netflix last week. Uh, it's not going to be for everyone, I can tell you right. that, because it is a black and white film set in the 1930s and very much is like a film from the 1930s everyone's speaking very quickly like there's a lot of fades <laughs> there's 1930s music um it's not going to be for everyone it's a story of mank who's herman mankowitz who was the screenwriter for citizen kane and it's basically it travels between like the 30s and 1940 and it's kind of just moves between him writing citizen kane and other events going on in the world at that time that he's involved with like it's it's an odd one because i did really enjoy it it wasn't like because i read a lot of things going into it a lot of people saying like this is a masterpiece this is going to win every single oscar going i don't think it will i think gary oldman has a shot i think amanda seafried will win because she's ridiculously good i've never thought like before that she's amazing but Mm. she is in this um but yeah it tells a story of a Mank writing Citizen Kane and the trouble he has doing that because uh, he's a troubled man who's an alcoholic and has a lot of personal problems going on but it's also about the 1930s Hollywood studio system and if you're interested in that like I am then it's very interesting because okay. it's about how basically they kind of half ran the country at that point <laughs> they half ran America it's like they're heavily politically involved there's a lot of talk about Hitler going on as well which is interesting and yeah, it's just a lot. If you like, like witty dialogue about 1930s politics, or oh, are you gonna <laughs> love this film? <laughs> Every time I skim skim read it and see the title, I always think of Monk. You know the old TV show. <laughs> Every time it catches my, um, I'm, I'm not sure it's for me to be honest, but but it's Fincher. But that's um, the thing. It's not. At, at some points, it is like a Finch film. Like it's quite similar to The Social Network in mm. ways that it's about one man and his half obsession at the cost of other people yeah um but at the same time it's not really like a venture film it hasn't got it's got some darkness to it but it's not got that you know like fight club seven zodiac they're very dark hard films like this is more just like a love letter to that era of filmmaking and his dad wrote the script who passed away so it's kind of like him i think really like there's a lot of love in the film is what i'm saying and it's a it's a very good film like You'll be able to tell soon enough if you're into it or not. That's true. Maybe I'll stick it on and see how I get on with it. Yeah, it's yeah. Like David Fincher does not make bad films. It might, like even Benjamin Button, which a lot of people don't like, I think is a good film. Watched, it's fine. It's like a perfectly good film. I watched that again the other day actually because my wife had never seen it, and it, I think it came mm. on Netflix recently or something. So we put it on. I think it's weird at this <laughs> just randomly going on Benjamin Button. <laughs> thing. But at the start, he's the size of a baby, but he's an old man. <laughs> but at, at the end. He's the size yep. of a baby again, and he's a baby. 
I wanted him to be. He should be full size, but a little <laughs> but a baby. <laughs> but a baby's face. You want him to be like the star baby from two thousand. Yeah, I mean, it would. It, she wouldn't be able to nurse the baby. I mean, this is a major spoiler yeah. for Benjamin Burton, but so what? Um, yeah, she wouldn't be able to nurse the baby at the end, and you wouldn't have that sweet moment, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, uh, give 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 Manka go if you fancy it. I fully realise a lot of people will think it's not good, but I liked it very much. Dale. No, Matt. Matt. Thank you. (laughs) Here we go. Talking of babies, the show that made me feel like a baby studying quantum (laughs) mechanics was Dark Season 3. Did you actually study quantum mechanics off this? No, but it made me feel like a baby attempting to study quantum mechanics. Yeah, it felt like this came out longer ago, but... Yeah, it was this summer, was it? it? Yeah, so... I think we've mentioned several times Dark, but we've always kind of stepped around it because it's it's a show that's so heavily plotted that it is difficult to talk. So I'm going to assume by now that people know the premise of Dark, so I can now talk about it in words that are not just, oh, it's brilliant, but it's mind twisty. <laughs> um, but I won't go any further than like the basic premise that's, it, that's like laid out in season one because we could talk about that to explain where it goes by season three. But I think the thing that's interesting is I think season three was arguably almost to the point of being too complicated. It almost got there. Season two, (laughs) season two hits the perfect line where at the end of season one, there's a lot of time travel stuff because it is, it's basically a show that is about um, a variety of characters that are crossing Mm -hmm. over time periods. And it's largely set in the 1980s or the, present day present day but season two introduced the idea that there are also future timelines and obviously everything's interconnected it's almost like a venn diagram that gradually over time they become closer and closer and closer till they are just a circle season three then introduces an additional layer on top of that that was almost like what like an additional three i think near the end like and don't worry this is not spoiling this program at all because i wouldn't dare do that to anyone i think is it seven different time periods you've got by the end of it? Yeah, because because of certain elements, certain other scientific theories that it brings into it, because <laughs> it is sort of weirdly based in potentially, like, you know, when you read these news stories, like, oh, scientists believe that the Matrix could actually be real. And it's kind yeah. of like it uses those as basis for where it goes. So it's almost like there's a sense of odd believability to its madness. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, I think but, the key was... Yeah, you were talking about it getting too complicated. It almost did, but somehow they did kind of manage to wrap it up. Uh, but um, it's not <coughs> just like wrap it up, but wrap it up incredibly neatly. Like everything yeah. falls into place. And it was one of these things that when I finished it, I was like, surely it's not that neat. And then if you go on Dark's website, they have yeah. the full timeline in every single aspect of all the different times that it covers in all the like like from from the 1950s all the way through to the apocalypse basically and beyond the apocalypse it has all of these elements completely mapped out not just in kind of like a timeline but through family trees because it's all about like there's there's kind of three core families that it deals with and you can you can draw all the threads perfectly from every point in time yep. to every member of those different families it's and the fact incredible. that it works I, and to throw this on top of that, not only do you have to concentrate on this, it is in German, yes. so you have to read it as well. Um, 
I do yeah, think the so fact good. that it is in German and you do have to read it is actually to its benefit. It actually helps. Yeah. When you're reading it, I think you do take more in because you have to be completely focused on it. And I remember mm-hmm. much more about Dark Season 3 than I do pretty much any other TV show that I've watched or any other game that I've done. I've started playing my games with subtitles on because it forces me to pay attention to what the hell people are saying. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unbelievable. Like, I would recommend that show to absolutely anyone. Like, if... It's that thing of like because it's German, it's subtitles. It won't ever probably get the love it deserves, but like that is one of the best TV shows I'll ever watch. Yeah, like it's 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 unbelievable from the fact that kind of like it starts with this. It's a really fun idea because you know it came on the heels of Stranger Things, basically when kind of eighties nostalgia was kicking back off again. It was like here's a TV show where there's like a bunch of kids that go back to the eighties, and everyone was like, "Oh, it's Stranger Things, but it's Germany." Like, I think I'm going to correct myself because the first time we ever spoke about this program, probably about two or three years ago now, on the podcast, I'd only seen episode one, and I was like, "It's German Stranger Things." (laughs) Little did I know, little did I know, is it where this where this program went? And I'd like to apologise to everyone for that comment it's your fault mate look after one episode it kind of is what do you you reckon their drop off rate is on Netflix like people who watch one episode and never came back to it I bet it's massive Uh, I mean like when I first watched it so it you can get it in a dub and it started playing it in a dub and was like oh this is awful and I was a bit worried that there wouldn't be the original track on it um but yeah kind of like I've seen it described as you know, not just by you, Cardi, but I've seen other publications describe it as German Stranger Things, and it's so far away from that. Like, yeah. it's got some stuff set in the 80s in it, but it's not kind of like... It's by no means a celebration of the 80s, like what um, like Stranger no. Things is. It's, I think, if anything, you know when you see lots of British people kind of understand the 80s, it wasn't fun like it was in all these American films. <laughs> it was just fucking dire, and we were all terrified of blowing up. And it's mm. kind of like, that's what Dark is about. That's the form of 80s that it does. Yeah. But when it gets even more sci-fi than that, and you think that it might be going too far... And you realise that it's actually going in really like some of the most interesting directions. And all I can ever think about, so like since that happened, is occasionally I'll just find myself doing sort of Adam's voice where he's just going around going Sick Mundus. Sick Mundus. <laughs> Should learn German, yeah. I know, yeah, clearly. Involved. I but yeah, like that, that, long, that is Latin. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. Yeah, I love that. Everyone should watch it. Basically, this podcast is just here's everything you should have watched or should be watching uh, if, mm-hmm. you, if you haven't caught onto that. Uh, but yeah, Dale, get it in you. Go on. Alrighty. <laughs> I it's did watch a first episode. So, um, so my my issue with shows like that is, um, like with TV shows, I tend to watch them with my wife, and mm-hmm. if she's not into it, it can be I have to find time to do it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we watched the first episode together, and within ten minutes, she was looking at her phone. So I was like, "Well, this is a no go." And then I just yeah. I put it to the side, and I just never came back to it. Yeah, the good thing though, all done in three seasons. I think about twenty eight episodes. Roughly, oh, it's finished to thirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's finished. Oh, okay. Season three is it? It's done. They wrapped it up somehow incredibly wrapped it up it's like when you get to the end of that and you realize that like even the number three is important to that series so it's (laughs) kind of like it was always planned as like this three three season thing god knows how you even start writing that show but you did it fair play well done to well i've forgotten his name well done to him (laughs) uh dale what's your last award so earlier this year we had quite a severe lockdown not only in the uk but in the world obviously didn't didn't, don't remember that. Uh, no, yeah, it happened, mate, this year. Uh, but but then, so my award is for best lockdown companion. It's the TV shows that sort of kept us going through that period. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think The Last Dance was definitely in that period as well. 
as is uh, Dave, which is, I said, the next two I'm going to mention actually, Dave and Normal People, are two shows that on paper I might not have watched or might not have normally watched. But because I felt like there was not much to do around that time, I was desperate for new TV shows. And Normal they were two. People was like, I, I I was one of the things I was going to put on here, but I was like, does, does anybody who listens to IGN want to talk about Normal I, People? So you can my, skim uh, over it. I, I ended up catching like the last 10 minutes of it, so I know what happened. Oh, brilliant. So, um, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I, I watched it. It looked devastating. Of, yeah. <laughs> I think I watched like two episodes a night because they're, they're actually not on for all that long. I think it's no. like a half an hour show. Fucking hell, that's that is probably the most emotionally brutal thing I've yes. ever watched. Just ap- like astonishingly well written, but left me in bits by the end. I mean, and you talk to me daily. <laughs> uh, the the performances were phenomenal as well, and I just um, but it's but yeah, completely heartbreaking all the way through it as well. Like so frustrating as well. One where you mm. really want to put yourself in the position of the characters and sort of direct them in the right way. But yeah, that was something I probably wouldn't have normally watched, but my wife put it on and then I just became obsessed with it. I thought it was brilliant. But I think the award goes to everybody's favourite show from earlier this year, which was Tiger King. I remember <laughs> that. I, <laughs> I did actually I watch it. watching it all in about two days, thinking, this is hilarious, also terribly sad, and then didn't think about it again. <laughs> really? Oh, I'm, you've not seen like constant memes of it popping up all the way through the year? I've seen that, but then I remember there was like, they did that almost like reunion reunion uh, reunionish show after yeah. didn't they didn't they do like a revisit which i mean i got part way through and i was like i oh, know that was a desperate attempt to Stop. get some more viewers right like they were yeah. so hot at that point they are doing a second season though as well right are they there's the nicholas cage dramatization oh, God, yes <laughs> <laughs> I, forgot that. I mean it was obvious that it was mega popular as well um yeah. and i just thought it was like fascinating television as well oh it was it was at times the best comedy of the year yeah <laughs> there's, uh, there, it, not many shows this year for me have like really caught that sort of moment in time that zeitgeist where everybody every single person was watching this same thing yeah. and i love those moments you know when you come on everyone's on the internet and the next day talking about a show maybe the mandalorian has a little bit of that but that's more mm-hmm. in i would say that one pushes maybe more towards nerd culture whereas tiger king felt like everybody was watching have that you thing bought any joe exotic albums off the back of it no i'm afraid not i did get a birthday card from my wife which was had joe exotic on the front of it though and it said something like oh sorry your birthday's in lockdown it's that bitch carol baskin's fault or something along this lines." <laughs> jesus i i there is yeah i think that's the way because like i think we mentioned it at the time never have i watched a documentary where every single character is so odd <laughs> like there's not a normal person in that show i mean it kind of i guess that's the world they live in kind of it gravitates towards odd people mm-hmm. i would say um but also we're talking about how funny it is and how mad it is there are some moments in there that i'd like proper disturbing as well there's that yeah, there's yeah, there's that one scene it's awful at times <laughs> there's that one scene where you know you see an incident happen on camera which wasn't meant to happen and it's just yeah it's like proper set me back at that moment um i thought it was like yeah fantastic i think i think more credit goes to the people of the crew who put that thing together because i thought they did a phenomenal job of telling that story Mm -hmm. yeah good stuff matt did you watch tiger king i have not watched it no what happened oh it was it was one of those things where kind of like i think we were still in the office when it started right and then might have been just on the cusp yeah around that time like may yeah but um it was just one of those things that everybody started talking about it and i think kind of like 
it almost felt like I was over the hill by that point. It was like, sort of all been spelt out for me. And I've seen the Louis oh, Theroux yeah. doc where he's mm. kind of like examined mm. in it as well. And so kind of, I've just, just never, never I would say in the blanks. I, when I started watching it, I was like, oh, this is that thing that Louis Theroux covered, but it's not the same. <laughs> like they don't yeah, go into yeah. the same sort of detail. I, I, I would recommend doing it. Like, even if you feel like you have kind of seen it through osmosis, mm. I promise you, you have not seen everything. Oh no, <laughs> there's a lot no. of madness in there. <laughs> Um, that moves me on. You just mentioned one of mine in your nominations, so mm. thanks for ruining that. So My next category is, and this is just so me. Like when you think <laughs> of me, you think of this: best use of hip hop oh. to end a TV season. Everyone so knows got, you're a massive hip hop head, mate. Like I listen to a bit. Yeah. What are you trying to no, say? No, I'm just like you're not known <laughs> for that, though. I'm not known. I, I, who knows what I'm known for? Um. So, the best use of hip-hop to end the TV series, we've got a runner-up and we've got a winner. The runner-up is Ozark, with a bit of Ron the Jewels mm. to end season three. I'm not going to say what happens at the Oof. end of season three, because it's a brilliant ending to a TV season, Absolutely. and just a brilliant season of television. But I forgot, that, that was one I genuinely forgot was this year. I thought that was last year, so mm. that was a pleasant surprise when I was looking through things to give awards That's to. another one that um, you, you absolutely, like I did it as well, you absolutely binge through and then... Yeah. You kind of forget about how good it was until you revisit. I, I I do this with every season of Ozark. When the next one comes out, I revisit what happened in the last one. I was like, yeah. shit, that was actually a really good season. It's so good. I feel like, yeah, people kind of, if you haven't seen it, like people do kind of dismiss it a bit as like a pound shot Breaking Bad, whereas it's not that at all. No. Like it's it's so good. Like it's its own thing at this point. And yeah, yeah Jason Bateman, Laura Linney is incredible. Um, I've forgotten the actor that plays her brother in it. Um, uh, yeah, but he I'd was also at, excellent. He was, um, and the fact that you know he came in new this season as well. Yeah, um, it's always hard to you know introduce new characters into those dynamics, and I thought he did a phenomenal. He was a standout mm. performer in that show. Yeah, I um, yeah, I can't wait for that season. I'm mm. really interested to see where they go with that show and if they have an ending in sight. Hopefully, they do because it's the kind of thing that could, in a couple of seasons, just feel like right. I where we go in? Like here. they've announced that the next one's the end, isn't it? I thought there was. I'm sure I've written a news story where so they broke it into like, two. Like you know how Breaking Bad had two shorter yeah, seasons yeah. that made up the final season. I think, yeah, I think they're, they're doing, doing that. that, like two, six, or eight episode runs to go or something. Mm. But, but you yeah, mentioned that I, idea um, of kind of like forgetting how some of the best stuff that you watched. When I was looking for this, like one of the things I almost put down was Better Call Saul, but I completely forgotten that that was this year. Mm. And also, when I had a look at what the episodes were. They were absolute stunners. Yeah. Like, there was some phenomenal mm. stuff this year for Battle Course All. I would say this is part, not problem, so to speak, but, you know, part of the issue with Netflix, way they present shows, right? You binge them so quickly mm-hmm. that it feels forgettable. Whereas, like, The Mandalorian we're watching every week, you kind of, each episode sticks in your head a little bit more. But you're absolutely right about Battle Course All as well. That was another phenomenal season. Like, every season of that show has been great. And, yeah, it just kind of, it comes and it's very exciting and then it's gone immediately. Yeah. I think the other thing is, is we don't, with The Mandalorian, it's such a landmark event for our week at work. Like, Mm. we end up, like, in the UK, we we do the review side of it. Like, we get the edits done for for Laura, and, like, me and Joe will write news on it. And it's always a discussion for us in the morning, because we watch it before our morning meeting. Mm. Better Call Saul is just something that kind of, like, goes on in our lives that we don't do the work for. So, Mm -hmm. maybe that's how it's easy to forget it. Mm. Yeah. But, uh... Yes, um, but that was my runner-up anyway. Yeah. So it's not even my winner. <laughs> so my winner is Dave mm. because I, this program surprised me a lot. Always because I remember watching the trailer and going, "This looks like it could be very tedious." I've 
heard of Little Dicky before and I've watched some of his music videos. I liked a couple of them, but some, sometimes I just found him a bit obnoxious. Mm. Whereas in this TV show, he, he comes across really well. And it's like, I know, kind of, I feel like I say this about absolutely everything, but it's some surprisingly emotional. Yeah. Like, it is oh, like absolutely. a proper drama. It's not just like a stupid, like, there is a lot of dick jokes, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of like stuff like that but it's much closer to i think i said at the time it's like the lonely island crossed with atlanta Mm. and i feel like that does kind of sum it up very well like it's got that sort of crude humor but it's also got that really good just drama as well so i would say the penultimate episode i think was one of my favorite episodes of television this year Mm -hmm. i thought it was absolutely like fantastic and not for any real comedy reasons at all just for you know emotional reasons but also when i started watching the show it's weird because the first, I can't remember, maybe it's three or four episodes, it is positioned as if it's just a comedy about a guy trying to become a famous rapper. And then it just sort of took a turn. It like matured halfway through the season where it became this emotionally weighted, like really like well-written show, which is yeah. bizarre. I've never seen a, season, a show do that before. It's so good. But the reason it's getting its award is because of the last episode, which is... A fantastic episode not only does it end with this like really good two to three minute freestyle he does which kind of sums up the whole show in two minutes mm. um but it also opens with a seven minute long <laughs> rap about a story about him going to prison which i won't ruin for anyone it's who only seven it, minutes it felt like it was like half the episode it felt like it, yeah <laughs> it goes on it's one of those it opens with a rap and you're like okay he's open with a rap it just goes on yeah. and on and on you're like at one point i was just thinking are they doing the whole episode as mm. one rap? And I was like, that would be amazing. I wouldn't be surprised if in the next season they do do that. Yeah. I don't know if they will. I assume there'll be a next series because people really liked it. But yeah. Even if it just ended there, that's just a great like 10 episodes. They're only like 20 minutes each. And I think they're all still on iPlayer mm. if you have access to that. I don't know who doesn't have access to iPlayer. But, you know. The cool thing about that, uh, that final freestyle as well is like that it happened in real life too. Like it's almost beat for beat. Like, what happened in real life and you can walk, go on YouTube and watch the real version of it afterwards and they've like real purpose this repurposed this event to be an absolute like fantastic conclusion to a TV show it's just mm. uh, it was so good I really enjoyed that show yep it, very good indeed mm. uh, the final award oh my voice is gone <laughs> oh god uh, I meant to bring it back earlier because you probably didn't hear it, Dale, but it sounded mad when you said Dave before because your mic went crazy and it sounded like you just shouted Dave at us. <laughs> uh, I hope the audience got to listen to that as well because it was hilarious. They're getting, the, like, they're getting the raw recording, not the Google Hangouts version. Uh, but I, I hope it happened. I hope it was a mic issue. Uh, <laughs> but there we go. Um, but the last award, Matt, a controversial one from me uh to you here as to this but i know why it's in the awards <laughs> go for it uh the surprisingly emotional handling of fascism award uh for taika watiti's jojo rabbit and i know why people say oh this was last year mm. it was but it came out on the first of january in the uk yeah oh. so therefore it's allowed just carry on in. Yeah, I mean, sort of like I didn't, I didn't see it until way after because I didn't actually go and see it at the cinema. It was one of those that I wanted to, but I was a bit. I really liked Taika Waititi. And I was like, is he actually going to do this right? Like, this is a real difficult situation to do a good. And I'm always a bit. Mm, how far? Like, I quite like it when you. So, for example, I quite like when Sasha Baron Cohen goes a bit all in, mm. and he does touch some really difficult subject matter and make good light out of it, almost the joke helps you understand what's wrong with 
mm-hmm. stuff as well as making you laugh. I was like, are we going to be able to do that about Hitler and the Holocaust? Like, <laughs> is, is this really something we should be doing? I still haven't seen the film. Oh. Partly because those reasons, I just, I've just never got around to it, really. Mm-hmm. I'm just... I have to be in the right mood, I think, to laugh at that. Sure. So <laughs> I ended up watching it on a plane um, when I was on my way to uh, on to the Rainbow Six Invitational, and um, I yeah I absolutely fell head over heels for it. I think it is a really really good, really emotionally touching story that like it never quite head on tackles what's going around it, mm. but because it's done from the perspective of a boy that doesn't really understand what fascism is. And doesn't understand like that the Holocaust is necessarily happening, but his mum is hiding a Jewish girl in their house, mm. um, and so he has basically turned Hitler into a superhero in his head because he's part of the Hitler Youth, and so he thinks our glorious leader, he's leading us against all these things. So he's got this version of Taika Waititi dressed as Hitler that kind of is like it's sort of almost like his weird spirit guide that's with mm. him all the time telling him what to do and it's clear that he just keeps getting himself in all sorts of shit that's that's quite funny but also very dark because you know that that shit mm-hmm. is leading to essentially the downfall of a country and a nation and all sorts yep. of horrible things to other people so it deals with that in a with, with levity in a way that still like as long as you understand what the point of these jokes are you can understand that I think Watiti understands the weight of what he's doing, but really his power comes with dealing with like the relationship between um, Jojo and uh, and this girl Elsa who's hidden in his house mm. and kind of like they start off basically hating each other and gradually kind of warming to each other over time. And she's played by Thomas and Mackenzie, which have any of you seen Leave No Trace? No. I have not. Leave No Trace was one of my favourite films from the year it was released, which I think was 2018, maybe. And it's basically so Thomas and Mackenzie is a girl that um, she's with her dad, and her dad like has moved them into the forest, and they live like in a hut, basically, sort of like away from society. So she gets brought up in this particularly sort of divorce situation, and she's like um, she emotionally pulls that film. She's incredible. And she sort of like brings that along here, but where she gets to be someone that's a little bit more integrated into society and sort of like, she's obviously a lot wiser than Jojo is. She's a little bit older and kind of gets that he's just a shit little boy <laughs> and kind of the patience she shows for him while basically having to hide in a box mm. throughout this entire film is, is done so well. And, and kind of, yeah, it's... It's, it's almost just... like she 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 understands that he's been misled, you know, and he yeah. and he and she's try, it's almost like trying to point him along on the right path as well. Mm-hmm. I, I I thought it was a um, like like you said a surprisingly like emotional and quite like childlike friendly film experience. I you know you don't expect it when you see what it is <laughs> like from the yeah. quick like snapshot of what it is and the fact that Hitler's his. Um, yeah, his imaginary best friend, and it's yeah. you know he's put himself into Hitler as opposed mm-hmm. to the other way around. Um, yeah, I thought I thought it was very heartwarming. I didn't find it as funny as I thought I would, though. I expected with Taika Waititi to be a little bit funnier. Yeah, and I think maybe that's him understanding how measured you have to be about it. But there are so my favorite, one of my favorite characters in it is Yorkie, who's his little mate. And there are some moments towards the end where I 
let's not say entirely where it goes, but obviously the Germans are definitely on the back foot by the end of it. <laughs> and I think if you've studied, like most of us have had to study World War II quite a lot because it's just on the syllabus in UK mm. schools. But I did A-levels as well, so I know kind of like the downfall of the, the Third Reich quite well. Just some of the jokes that he makes, which I know kind of like where their roots are in kind of like how the army's kind of running out of resources and mm -hmm. some of the shit that like they're just giving Panzerfausts to little kids <laughs> who are blowing up buildings by accident and you've got all of this m sort of like crescendo that goes on and you've got um Sam Rockwell's character who you know is very kind of flamboyant as a Nazi kind yeah. of officer and it's understanding of where to prod the the beast basically and know what's what's available to joke about and what you can joke about, but there's a line where if you go beyond that, you're just being a dickhead. Yeah. But if you go below it, you're being satirical. The fact that it runs that so well with all of these characters that are lovable, despite the fact that half of them belong to the Third Reich. It's, I think it's quite a, like, it's, it's a feat of writing that I think is very, very good. Mm -hmm. I will make an effort to watch it over Christmas. Uh, that is my plan. It's a great because... Christmas film. Is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Every film's a good Christmas film. I don't get you know. Films are just Christmas for me. So guys, any of them. His... I watched Training Day last night. Is that a what? Christmas film? That no, is a good film. But it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that in a long time. Oh, it's still so mm -hmm. good. Put Denzel Washington in anything, and you have a good film. Is is my plan? Mm. If I ever make a film, get Denzel in. Um, get his lad in John as well. David. Yeah, get his lad in. Yeah, get both of them. That would be a tour de force. I believe you had one more thing to tease for us, Matt, that mm. is also maybe, I can't say, I haven't seen it, could be good. Yeah, so um, you might be aware that there's a new Wonder Woman film coming out, Wonder Woman 1984. Some people at IGN have seen it, including Terry, uh, who, who has tweeted her thoughts. I've also mm. seen it. I'm under embargo that I can't tell you anything about it. But Terry, in a tweet, which does not break embargo, says it's very, very good. And me and Terry quite often think alike. Mm. If you want to know everything, there'll be a review before the film comes out. Nice. What, what a lovely way to dance around an embargo. <laughs> I love that. That was beautiful. Um, yeah. Good, good work there. I'm impressed. There we go. Uh, there we go. We will, like I said, be back sometime Tuesday and Wednesday next week for Cyberpunk Game Awards extravaganza some sort of thing we'll have played it a lot by then i've only played an hour of cyberpunk so far so i can't really speak to it um and then next friday we'll be back for the game version of this so the alternative game awards that'll be the other three jesse joe and al um i believe so you get a week off of us isn't that a treat <laughs> um but there we go this has been a pleasure lovely yeah do, well, what's Cheers. the deal here with a special podcast? Do we do music at the end? Or I guess we do. Oh yeah. Well, should we? Should we? Can we play the whole of Dave's freestyle from the end of? Not the whole uh, of it, but maybe uh, a little. Or bit. we could drop the end. We could drop the Run the Jewels from Ozark. Oh, what's a yeah. better drop? Oh. Go Run the Jewels. Just have a little thirty yeah, seconds of that. Because yeah. they're in Cyberpunk as well. It's yeah, his double double-edged sword perfect. there, isn't it? So there we go. Didn't Brilliant. talk about Cyberpunk, but yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah, but it leads into next week. It's like we're, we're we leading go. on. All right, it's from a connecting the tissue. There we go. Beautiful. All right. See you later. Bye.
And the pussy feet still fuck the wall. I'm a dog, I'm a dirty dog. Ha 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 ha. Oh, dirty bastard, go in your jaw. <laughs> shimmy, shimmy, y'all. Got the simmy in the hemi. Go and gimme, gimme, y'all. Pugilistic, my linguistics, RJ Ruler damage, y'all. And I rap it, pornographic, beat set up the camera. Uh, uh, uh. 